Welcome to the Daily Naked Pair Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name's Chad Ratliff. I'm your host today. So grateful to be here and so grateful to be with another parent who's willing to share their story. Her name is Amy Wagoner. Did I say that right, Amy? Yes, you did. All right. And Amy's in her mid-30s. She's married with one daughter who's five years old and has autism. She's a technology product manager at an education advocacy nonprofit in Portland, Oregon, and she's starting the kindergarten journey this fall. So welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and share more stories of autistic little girls out there in the world. And I'm stoked for that topic because I don't think a lot of People realize how different the journey with raising an autistic daughter is than raising a son. And just in doing a little bit of research, now I have one of each, and in doing a little bit of research, you know, there's a couple of simple statistics like the estimate that there's one girl for every 4.3 boys diagnosed. But some of the challenges that parents and daughters are having kind of getting the diagnosis and things were quite shocking to me how many of the challenges are different. I read something where it said that girls are able to hide their symptoms better than boys and that's causing confusion and it's causing difficulties in getting diagnosis. It's even had some people saying that you know, it's more self-esteem issues and things not related to autism because they've been able to hide some of their symptoms. I don't know. What's your experience been so far? When did you first kind of start this journey? When did the diagnosis for you happen? Yeah. Well, the diagnosis itself is fairly recent. We just got it this spring, but we've been in the process for it uh, for about a year and a half or so. I think everything that you hit on there with uh, girls versus boys um, in the autism diagnosis situation um, is totally accurate to our experience. Um, Basically, you know, Kate was going to her well-child checkups and eventually about year three, she was scoring slightly lower. So it didn't, it wasn't as obvious earlier on as sometimes it is with boys. I feel like society has this expectation that boys will be rowdy, boys will be loud, boys will be in your face. And if they're not, then something's wrong with them. But with girls that I don't think people notice that as often there's a societal expectation that girls are going to be quieter. That certainly wasn't the case with my daughter, but there's this expectation that they will be. And so when you say girls are able to hide it better, really, I feel like, and I know this is true for myself, uh, girls learn to mask a lot earlier on so that they can handle situations that they're put in. So for my daughter's uh, case, she's really her own little special <laughs> special snowflake. 
Uh, she is nothing like a typical girl, but around at the four-year checkup, that's when it was the scores were significant enough. And I should say, when I say scores, you know, it's a it's a a broad assessment. And so typically, even with boys who are, you know, higher needs autism, they're still going to score all over. Um, and that's pretty typical. They'll be higher in some areas and lower in others. That can make it more difficult, though, to diagnose autism, because then you have to have, you know, certain boxes that they check in order for it to be autism. Um, so we started pursuing it in well, actually, her, her four-year checkup was during 2020, so this is during the pandemic. We started pursuing it, and we were told, you know, get her into speech therapy immediately, get her in for an autism diagnosis, but I'll warn you, the autism diagnosis, you're going to be put on a wait list, um, and it's going to be a long time. And I think this is the case wow. nationwide, but in Portland, it's about eight to 10 months. That was our experience from wow. when we get put on the list to when we actually get an appointment to be seen for the diagnosis. So in the meantime, we did speech therapy. And then about April, May of this year, we got in for the diagnosis and um, she was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, global developmental delays, and mixed receptive expressive language disorder. And she's about two years behind her calendar age. Um, So she's about three. But they cautioned, and this is, I'm so interested when I hear um, parents you know, on your show and also just in the community at large, talk about what level their kid's at. Kate wasn't given a level for a couple reasons. One, uh, her appointments were virtual because it was during the pandemic, but also the developmental pediatrician cautioned against giving a level to younger kids who are just diagnosed because they're almost always typically going to be higher needs simply because they're little kids. And so so that's where we're at right now. We have a general ASD diagnosis and we've decided to pursue public school for her this fall. When did you kind of feel like something might be different? Did you notice early on or is this just newer that you've noticing something's different? No, I feel like I knew from the second she was born, um, <laughs> quite honestly. I know all of the vaccine stuff has been debunked, you know, and it's just because autism is diagnosed around the same time that you get a lot of vaccines. So that makes sense. But I think any parent of an autistic child or most parents could say that they felt something early on. I have generalized anxiety disorder and I had postpartum anxiety. Really wasn't quite sure if what I was experiencing was just difficulty being a parent, a first time parent having anxiety, or if something was different with my child. And then as time went on, I think you hope that they'll make these milestones. And she was making all her like gross motor development. She was looking at me in the eye. She -hmm. was babbling. She never regressed on language. That was something typical with autistic kids. She did not. She's always been this way. This is just how Kate is. And so I had a hunch a while ago, (laughs) five years ago, but you know, the development has to happen and they have to check all these boxes. And frankly, when your child looks you in the eye and can babble at you, you know, as a baby, you're not thinking autism, you know, you're thinking, oh, maybe I have an inkling, but it's definitely not this because autistic kids aren't supposed to look at you, you know, certainly not the case for all autistic kids. (laughs) Yeah. You know, sometimes it seems different as far as how long it feels for a parent than it, kind of the way the world assesses time. But in this short period of time that you've been on this journey, 
Is there anything that you wish you knew then that you know now? Is there anything that you would have done differently? Or are you kind of on the path that you feel you're supposed to be? I feel pretty good about where we're at now, but I think, you know, there are a couple things for myself. I feel like parents deserve all the mental health treatment in the world. So make sure you get your own mental health treatment because being in the right mind space for yourself, you will just be able to be there for your children. So that's one. I wish I had done that earlier on. Um, My second, though, is really about trusting your child. I learned this this past summer, I did a program. I don't know if it's called the same thing everywhere, but in Portland at OHSU, it's called Project Impact. And it teaches parents basically kind of how to be speech language pathologists at home. (laughs) Not really, but somewhat, you know, and it it begins with focusing on your child, then working on the communication all the way up to actually presenting obstacles for them so that they have an opportunity to learn. But like learning that the basis of it is focusing on your child. That is, I wish I had known that earlier on. It wasn't about what I wanted her to do or what society wanted her to do or what the task at hand was. Because truly, if I start focusing on her and even just get down to her level, sit exactly like she's sitting, start making the sounds she's making to mimic her and make her feel like she's in a safe place, everything is possible at that point. It's like she is so capable when we don't stop and put ourselves in that mindset that she is in or that the autistic person is in, we are going to assume that so many things are impossible that just aren't. And so that's something I learned this summer that I wish I had known so much earlier on is, you know, put we as, and I don't even consider myself fully neurotypical, but we as neurotypical folks really have to push ourselves. It's upon us to meet neurodiverse people where they're at. And I think just learning that literally the first step before you ask, oh, it's so hard for me to learn to don't ask a question, Amy. Don't ask a question. Just be there with her. Don't even ask her what she wants Mm. or if she wants this or that. Just be there with her. Like that simple concept really, and I'm not perfect at it, but it gets me back to the core when, you know, things are tough. So- That's deep. And I'm actually, I learned that slowly through having great caregivers in my life, the better the, really the better the support staff, they're the ones that teach me like by watching them. And then all of a sudden I see these things that are, I didn't even realize were possible. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the dad. And (laughs) I didn't give my kid that enough credit to do half of what they're showing me is possible. Absolutely. And I believe it's a lot with what you're saying. It's by them getting in their world and not, yeah, I love what you just said. That's, you'll have to re-say that for me so I can understand (laughs) it better again. So how about for you and how are you, you you knew this from the beginning, but yet it's still new. How are you dealing with all of this? You know, I think it was when it's something you always have in the back of your mind, when it is actually said out loud. Like when my husband and I got the diagnosis, we cried. It was emotional, you know, but then it was almost just kind of like a freedom of like, this is our life, you know, appreciate it where you're at. Again, you know, the days are hard. It takes a lot of energy to to just keep going. You know, when you, when you feel like you live in a different world than your child Mm -hmm. um, and you don't quite know what's going on. I don't know what happens at school. 
you know, I rely on the providers at school to tell me because she can't say, oh, I loved recess, you know, things like that. She is verbal, but she just is not like, she doesn't do dialogue really. That's what's hardest, I think, is not knowing. Um, Like I said, I have anxiety, so I can sit here and think up, you know, the craziest circumstances. But really learning to put trust in other people, I think, is where I'm struggling right now. And trusting the professionals who have shown me nothing but, you know, love and respect and care for Kate. And they've given me no reason to doubt them. But really just putting my trust in them. I think that's the toughest part right now. Um, It is. Um, you sound like you've picked up this diagnosis and taken it in stride and and you sound like you have a lot of feelings of gratitude. I'm just making this up just by what I'm sort of <laughs> gauging is has this always been the case for you? Because I mean there were parts of me where like, you know, this Yeah. This is messed up. You know, how what's up with I, this? You know, I don't I don't feel that from you. Are you are you saying did you bypass that part? I totally understand what you're saying, you know. There are times when near the beginning, I think my therapist probably knows this best, where it was like, why? Why is this happening? Because I, you know, I'm a person in my 30s. I've had enough life experiences to deal with. I don't want extra baggage in my life, you know. But that didn't last that long because I feel like I'm truly an activist by nature. When I care about something, I make it my cause. Uh, I will go march. I will go vote. I will call my elected officials. I will do what I need to do. Um, And I think that now that I'm a mother and the cause is my child, it's even greater. So, you know, I've started saying we've only had one IEP meeting so far. We're, We're in the middle of the IEP process, which is it's difficult too, but we had one IEP meeting and I said, you know, I understand legally you have to call it special education, but I don't like that name. I don't like special needs and I don't like special education because it indicates that some kids are special and others are not. And frankly, I think you have more kids in your school who need help than the kids who are in special education. So I'm going to advocate for calling it accommodated learning I know you have to call it special education, but, you know, this is something I'm trying to beat the drum for of, uh, or excuse me, I don't want to use that term, but I'm, I'm trying to grow a community to try to change things in the public school system because I want to envision a world where mainstream schools, you know, I hate that no child left behind political stuff, but it really, truly where it is accommodating all kids. And when we call things special education or talented and gifted, you know, I was in tag. I was one of those kids. And you know what? I felt unique and special and I got to do things other kids didn't get to do. And there's a place for that, but not at the expense of other rising kids, you know, and at the same time, not taking care of this wide swath of students in the middle who we just assume are neurotypical because they don't have obvious issues. So so that's yes. when I started seeing that and realizing my husband and I could have benefited from this at a younger age if schools were more like this or if families or if society was more like this. I don't like to sit with things that I don't feel are right. So that's kind of what this turned into for me. I love that. I definitely 
would look for your uh, somebody that was like you to be to figure out what kind of group I wanted to participate in. I can like feel your passion. And I think you're right on. I love accommodated learning. How about for your husband? Has it the journey been different for him? Has it? Do you both feel like you're kind of taking it? Yeah, um, in similar stride. I think we're pretty similar at this point. I think there were. I don't feel like he saw as early on some of the things with Kate that I did, but we joke, you know, she's still attached to me at the belly button. That's like her favorite part of my body. She's she's very attached to me. And I feel like in some cases we're one body, you know, and I, I maybe that's just common with mothers, but I felt like I knew early on. So I think for Clark, it was um, more gradual he really wasn't sure and he needed the professionals to show him why they were saying the things they were saying. But that being said, once that happened, he was like, yes, okay, I get this. This is my child. There was never any denial, never. And and thankfully, he's actually, uh, I worked out of the home until the pandemic. Now I work from home full time, but I worked out of the home. And so he was Kate's primary caregiver, you know? And so he would see her do like she would sing full songs. She would, you know, line up all her toys before we realized that was a total autistic trait. Right, right. Um, and he would be like, no, my daughter is so smart. How could she be autistic, Amy? Like, I don't get that. Because he was with her all day, you know, and he sees every, all the cool things she does. So I don't blame him for that. Yeah. Yeah. They have a great relationship too. And I think, you know, she's attached to me, but she loves her dad. And it's just, yeah, I think we're all just in this together now. I like where we're at with this. It took time. It took diagnoses. It took hit and miss. It took lots of therapy, you know, our own mental health therapy, but we've been in speech therapy for the last 10 months. So yeah, it's been a journey, but I we're in a good place now. And I feel like that's why, you know, I'm so on the activist train is there are so many families that are struggling, especially families with girls who aren't presenting the same as boys on the spectrum, who don't have the typical, you know, like, no, my kid is in your face. You know, my kid is sensory seeking, not sensory avoiding. Like, we want to show that diversity of spots on the spectrum. Well, one of the things that you just said that I love is that we're all in this together. And that's where it would be awesome to remove some of these labels that we're putting because we're all in this together should be sort of the motto of <laughs> any family, right? Yeah, yeah. With any array of abilities, we're all in this together and we're doing it together. So being that you're all in this together, what is a bad day look like that may be influenced by autism or yeah. some of the things that you're dealing with? Well, you know, Kate's five. So she, her emotional regulation, <laughs> despite the autism, isn't the greatest. So I think her toughest days are when she's had some sleep disturbances, which is also super common for kids with autism. So she doesn't have the rest she needs. She won't go back down for a nap anymore. So that's kind of it for the day if she hasn't slept well. And so a bad day would be, yeah, you know, something where we haven't slept well and then she is resistant to kind of anything we want to do because it's all on her schedule. And when she hasn't slept as well, she's not using the words she knows how to use. And so it's a lot of screaming, you know, that's 
those are probably our worst days. And I think our neighborhood knows what Kate sounds like. <laughs> and right. that's just that's just the reality of it. And I think that the more you talk to your neighbors, you know, explaining your kid has autism, it makes you feel a little less guilty when those bad days happen. Um, Because you know your your neighbors understand at least somewhat. It can close their windows. I mean, truly, I try to use those as exposure. If I take my kid to the store and she's screaming, we will stop. I will talk to her. And then we will walk out if we can't, you know, regulate the emotions. Um, Because I do, you know, I do try to get her out in the world and everything. Because I think more people need to see this. Like, it's bad, sure, but. Yeah, I had a tantrum in a store as a kid. I mean, we have fender benders in parking lots and adults get into arguments in a parking lot. Like this happens, people, where we have emotional outbursts. And if we stop treating them as like, what's wrong with that person and start treating it as what does that person need to feel better? You know, the days don't have to be so hard and it's more of a camaraderie and things. That does not mean I'm not frustrated in those days. And I don't say, I need to take a walk. Clark, you need to watch her. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. Communication, exposure, I think those are the best ways to deal with those days because you're never going to have the right answer. Your autistic kid is going to throw you curveballs left and right. You're never going to know the perfect thing. But honestly, a good general answer is like, Stop, assess the situation, focus on your child, communicate, and then you'll probably get closer to a better day. Yeah. So I think you kind of answered the question, but if you're, the sleep was off, the emotions are flying, what's your approach or solution to, or how do you address that? You know, generally when we know that's happening, we'll start the day, either my husband or I, with a lot of physical time with her. Um, she's a very physical child. So she wants to be cuddled. She wants to touch your belly button. She has her little language jokes that she talks about. Ayoy, ayoy, ayoy. I don't know what it means, but uh, she loves it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we do that. We try to allow her to be near us as much as possible. Honestly, I guess I'm kind of talking about the physical stuff, but that's really a lot of what she needs is to physically feel safe. I think other things that we do are trying to make sure um, physical regulations in general are hard for, uh, can be hard for autistic people, especially kids. Um, So remembering that they're hungry is sometimes difficult. So we make sure that we're on top of the meals even more so, offering her meals more throughout the day. um, Because if she gets hungry, it's just going to make everything worse. Trying to keep play places clean, we've noticed. um, She is a chaotic terror. I think she thrives in chaos, but she doesn't realize how overwhelming it can be for her. And so she loves it. And then suddenly it's too much and she walks away. So keeping spaces organized and clean, we're not great about that. But I've noticed that that does make a difference in her day to have things in an orderly manner so that she can then mess it up. (laughs) Sounds like me. (laughs) Thrive in chaos until I don't thrive in chaos anymore. (laughs) And I always said, I always said that I let's keep the house clean because I feel like I'm a better parent when. when Oh, yeah. If all else fails, if the house is clean, then I'm. 
I'm not doing that bad. <laughs> so what's something that you're excited about, you know, looking forward in uh, your child's life as being a parent? I'm honestly, right now, our biggest, and I've learned you really can't look too far ahead because you don't know what's going to happen. I We had no idea the pandemic was coming, right? I mean, right. if we needed an example of don't look too far ahead. But I think right now our biggest focus is school and kindergarten. I was just on the the texting app with her technically special education, but at their school, they call it the learning center, which I do feel like is a, a, a step in the right direction of with the kids. They call it the learning center. But anyway, I was talking with her and she was telling me about Kate's day and she said, you know, oh, Kate went to the supply bin and of her own volition requested some supplies. And I asked her crayons or markers and she indicated crayons and she drew a picture, you know, Spencer Scribbles. But her paraeducator, when we picked her up, was so excited to show us. And so I was sharing that with the learning center specialist, like, oh, yeah, you know, Miss Angela was just so excited to share with us. And she said, you know, I think we're all just so proud that Kate wanted to do that on her own. And honestly, the little moments like that, man, that thing is up on our refrigerator. It's scribble. I have no idea what it is. But she did it. Like these little milestones, that's what I'm living for right now. When she makes it through an entire day at school, she's still not potty trained. So we have some certain toileting protocols that we're working on. When she makes it through a day and, you know, she's not dirty at the end of it, things like that. It just, that tells me that she's making the progress for her. And I've been very insistent with the school and they've been very responsive that this is Kate's yardstick. This is not some other kindergartners yardstick. You know, we're going to measure things on Kate's measurements. I love that. I love that. And I think that I noticed when I find gratitude in the little things in those little moments, I'm just in a better place for myself. You know, when I'm looking for these big milestones and that's usually when I'm trying to measure against the Joneses, if you will. And that's when I'm way off track. So yeah, absolutely. I think there's a place for that. But with your autistic kiddos, that's not the world they live in. So Right. Is there anything that something that you believe to be true that most parents disagree with? I do believe I may receive some pushback on the special needs, special education stuff. Not because I've received any so far, but because I believe there are kids with very high needs that do need very different things than neurotypical kids. I want to be clear when I'm saying that, that what I mean is even more kids have needs and we shouldn't otherize just the kids who have the most needs because we're really doing a disservice to other children. I feel like I was one of those kids who was in the middle. I was always told I was shy or I had separation anxiety and probably those were true, but I also had anxiety and maybe I was a little neurodiverse and maybe I should have received certain treatments at a younger age. And so I think that that is something I might receive some pushback on and I am open to the conversation because I feel like this is something that doesn't exist right now, a proper name and a proper way to assess all kids going into a public school. So I'm here for the future of what this looks like. So please, if you don't agree with me, let me know and let's figure out what the best thing is Um, because that's really what I'm looking for. I love that collaboration, developing this new world that is happening every day in every way, you know, as it relates to our children and everybody's children. 
And it really requires disagreement. Like I used to not be a fan of that, but I mean, I'm a project manager now. The only way we get things done is by everybody putting their ideas and us talking about it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that. Um, and how about for you? Are you doing anything to take care of you? And oh, yeah. Is, and and is, that, <laughs> is that benefiting you and the family? Yeah. So as I said, I I go to therapy. I also have some my own self-interests. And I feel like putting some structure in the home, like there's a lock on our office door, for instance, all the arts and crafts supplies that are mine that I want to work on for my personal time are back here and Kate's are up front. I think one of the biggest things with having an autistic daughter and also um, having so much be in the home, like she was never in a daycare facility or anything like that. I started being resentful if she would want my things, (laughs) Hmm. but of course she wants them. They're so fun and they're breakable and they're pretty, you know, she's ruined lots of makeup, you know, she's broken some little statuettes of things I had. I think that instead of getting angry about that, trying to put some structure in your life so that you as an adult can be an autonomous adult and feel like you have your space is so important. So, you know, we're parents, things are going to get broken, but instead of stressing so much about it, just try to put some structure. I don't know. That seems like such a simple thing, but with I feel like with Kate, our approach has been so much like, let her be independent, let her explore that she's all over our house. You know, we have to have some spaces that are ours. And now I, uh, with her being in school and out of the house, sometimes I also have more time that's mine. So my husband and I try to get our workouts in during that time (laughs) so that we can get our physical activity in. And I think the other thing, you know, it's so easy in America nowadays, and especially when you have kids with um, higher needs to do what is like easiest for dinner, for things that keep your body sustained. And I just encourage people to rethink that concept of what's easy is what's better in the moment. You know, I, in my side job, do um, fitness coaching. And something I've learned in that is like, you are everything that you put into your body. I was listening to the podcast last week or the the last issue where you had a professional on talking about like diets for autistic kiddos. I mean, I I don't know. I've never assessed Kate's diet, but I know for me as just a normal person, just an average human, everything I put into my body affects how I feel. And so um, parents eat right. <laughs> you deserve it. Your bodies deserve it. You deserve, you know, to take care of yourself. I saw a meme the other day that said, um, I can't afford to die. I have an autistic kid, even from old age. I can't afford to die. <laughs> wow. Like we really need to take that to heart. I know that's how we all feel, but we need to take better care of our physical bodies so that we really can do that too. Yes, I agree. I, it makes a huge difference for me. And that's actually something I, I struggle with because that's an easy escape that doesn't land me in jail or, or you know, in a problem in my relationship. But it really, yep. it leads to that. It leads yeah. to problems and everything for me. So um, I definitely hear what you're saying and agree with you. We ask usually a, about a favorite quote. I think you gave one. Is yours those who 
yeah. were seen dancing, were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. Yes, it is. I love that. that. It's been a favorite of mine since high school debate when I first learned about philosophers. <laughs> um, you know, I won't try to summarize like Nietzsche philosophy or anything, but this quote has always stuck with me because it just shows you that, I mean, it used to make me feel like, oh, you don't understand me and only I understand my life. What I feel like now as a parent, it sure, it might mean that, um, you know, that's a way to take it, but it literally you know, I live in this world with a kid who no one understands what's going on in her head, but constantly it seems like there's a soundtrack going. She always has a song going on. And if you look at her, there's been situations, you know, we've been outdoor dining during the pandemic and Kate will be running around on the sidewalk and we've gotten some not kind words said to us by some employees. Mm of her getting in the way and it being a safety issue. And she's really just stimming. She's just looking at her reflection mm-hmm. in the mirror. You know, we can we can pull her away. But it just, this quote really hammers home for me that we all have our own experiences and it's not on us to look at someone else enjoying their life and make a judgment on that, you know? And I think just this statement of like, those who were seen dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. Try to hear the music. Try to, you know, it goes back to what I said about Project Impact. Focus on your child. That is really just the first step and the most integral step if you don't have any others. Put yourself in their shoes. Try to be in their world. Literally mimic the sounds they are making. It sounds mm. silly, but I tell you, every time I do that, my daughter stops and looks at me and smiles. And I know she knows I'm in her world. So it works. You know, do am I silly? A 36 year old woman going, ah, 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 yeah, but it works for her, you know? So, yeah, if it connects with our children, how can it not be anything (laughs) to write, you know? Exactly. And I've had to do that in front of the pickup drop off line with my shirt pulled up so she could touch my belly button. It's just, you know, (laughs) so you do what you have to. Yes. Are there any um, products or services that have catered to your well-being in a way that are worth sharing to people out there that are looking for feel-good things? Um, We haven't gone after any specific products. I will say that, you know, connecting, if you feel like your child could benefit, Kate does have a dedicated AAC device. Uh, that she uses and has helped her get to be better communicative. Now she doesn't rely on it as much. But if you feel like, you know, devices, things like that are something that your child could benefit from, I really encourage you to seek out the different autism centers in your um, community. You know, ours was through we went through OHSU. So it's a state facility, you know, the state school and hospital. So you know, maybe things are a little bit different than a private facility, but they offered, you know, if you didn't have insurance, we can apply for a grant and it's, you know, almost a hundred percent guaranteed to help with the cost of this. So there are ways, don't feel like things are impossible. There are resources out there. And I guess at the end, I'll share how to get in touch with me, but I will help you. Yeah. I've had people reach out to me after I made a post getting our AAC device that, you know, asked, oh, how did you get that? And I explained the whole thing. Can I make it happen in their life? Not necessarily, but I can share with you how we did it 
you know, we're not a high income family. I work at a nonprofit. Like <laughs> my husband is building his own business at home. You know, I totally understand being in a, fi- a bad financial situation, but don't let that stop you because there's so much that's possible. Even if you don't get a device, like I'll send you a bunch of printables and you can cut them out and use those with your kid. You know, like there's a lot out there. You don't have to do it alone. Cool. So no specific products, but resources. I like that. I like that. And well, I, we do like a round robin where it's one word to one sentence answers to a few questions just to get a few more things, uh, a few more views of yours if you're up for it. Yeah. All right. What is the best advice you have received? Focus on your child. <laughs> Share a personal habit that contributes to your success. Take care of your mental health. <laughs> Do you have a top resource or recommendation to share with other parents? I would say look up the hashtag actually autistic on Instagram. You'll find a lot of people you can follow that will give you actually autistic advice from actual autistic people instead of marketing companies. <laughs> What's the next thing on your list you want to add for your individual well-being? I am seeking my um, professional project management certificate. So that is what's next on my professional list of like what I want to do for myself and have that certification. So, yeah. Cool. And what's one thing you think would improve your life if you did it or had it? Hmm. If I had a (laughs) dedicated paraeducator for my child that was with her from when she got to the school to when she left. Right now we are kind of going in between a couple different paraeducators and I'm having a little bit of a hard time understanding how Kate's day at school is going. So I would love to have that, but you know, this is a, I guess this is a short answer. (laughs) This is a factor of the school system. So I'm trusting and I'm advocating and we'll get there. I love that. The conversation, I've really, really appreciated the conversation and I feel like you've been very authentic and sharing your heart and your journey. And I really appreciate that. Just kind of in closing, you said you had some uh, recommendation kind of for parents out there on resources. Give us any guidance or things that you think might help our listeners helping them along their way. Yeah. So I don't know if um, I'm just grabbing a book real quick. I don't know if this is something that folks can go purchase themselves. There is an ISBN, so maybe it is. But this book, it's uh, what we used for Project Impact. It's called Teaching Social Communication to Children with Autism and Other Developmental Delays. It's the Project Impact Manual for Parents. This was something I used with a speech therapist weekly with my daughter. We'd go through it. We'd learn all the things. But it's very easy to read, I should say. Very easy to consume. So if you can get your hands on a copy of this, even if you're not in speech therapy, I would say, you know, this is a really great resource. The things I learned in it have really changed how I interact with my daughter. So if at all possible, try to be, you know, with a an OT or an SLP, a professional in that setting so they can teach you. But if not, if you're not in a place where you can do that, but you could maybe afford a book. I'm not sure how much it costs, but I will say that again. It's teaching social communication to children with autism and other developmental delays. And it's by um, Brooke Ingersoll and Anna Dvorak. Cool. And and you were saying on resource recommendations, how do, how do 
parents, do you have any suggestions on that? Um, yeah, I would say um, you could always reach out to me on Instagram. My handle is at oamydear. But, you know, I can help point you in directions. I am a super researcher, Google fanatic. <laughs> so even if you're in New Jersey, I will help you find a place. But I would say um, looking at facilities that are either through your county or state, potentially research universities. They typically have child development centers, you know, in, in different capacities. Maybe it's called an autism center at OHSU. It's called the CDRC, the Child Development and Rehabilitation Center, I think, um, at, at Dornbecker Hospital. Those are all, I would say, better avenues than potentially like a private company. While you still may receive services from them, they're not as likely to have like grants and public funding available. I also know that, you know, even just being at those facilities once to get an an evaluation for your child, they'll typically have a resource board available. And that's where I have found information for parent groups, music groups for your kids. The Autism Society of Oregon advertises on there. So I encourage you, the Autism Society of America is broader, but each state has a, a branch. So I would encourage you to look at that. Just don't stop with the resources. I would caution against companies who, um, I'm not necessarily going to name them by name on here, but who are more in it for the marketing and the t-shirts because you know, that's what their communication is mostly going to be about. It's going to be about highlighting all the special things that autistic people do, which is absolutely necessary, but that's not really what a parent needs. You know, a parent needs a way to work with their kid, uh, to understand them and to have a better home life. And so, yeah, that's where I would seek information. Awesome. Well, I, again, thank you so much for taking the time. I wish you all the success on your certification and kindergarten and, everything that you do. And I hope you stay in touch with us and we'd love to continue this journey together with you. Awesome. Thanks so much for the invitation. I really appreciate being on here and sharing our story. Okay. Have a great day. Awesome. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. This concludes our show for today. And I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics, and the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes And we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long.